We're going to get back into the ear and hopefully complete this part of the mechanics of how we hear and the true genius of our Creator and what He's made and what He put together because it really is extremely interesting to me. This is beyond my grasp. It's beyond my understanding. And all I can do is just simply be in awe of what He's made. But first, I'd like to read a verse and then relate it back to something that's in your bulletin. It says over in Psalms 50, 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Now that was a verse that really got this whole thing started in my life, a major change. I can go back and tell you exactly what it was that got my attention when I got saved. I can go back and tell you the progression of things that the Lord used in my life to get me to Pensacola from California. Those things are all part of my history. But in this situation here, God used something to open my understanding to His glory. And it happened when He showed me that it was conditional. And this is really a key element. Had the Lord allowed me to remember some of the verses that I already knew. For example, the last verse in that same chapter says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. I knew that verse. And if he'd have shown me that or allowed me to remember it, I would have been the same old Laodicean Christian that I'd always been. Oh, okay, I'm doing that. And it would have stopped right there. But my desire was to glorify him. And so I started asking him questions. How do you do that? And then he began to show me in his way, in his time, and began to open up my understanding to what his glory was all about. Like I've said before, in 33 years, I've never heard any of this stuff from any preacher in any church, any set of meetings, any message on tape, or any place else. For 33 years, I've never heard any of this. But we're not the only ones that God showed this to. I'm going to read this thing that he sent me. It's by Jonathan Edwards. I don't know if you're familiar with Jonathan Edwards, but he was a famous preacher. And if I'm not mistaken... Jonathan Edwards was the guy that they paced off and you could hear him over a mile away every single word that he said without a PA system. If I'm not mistaken, that's who it was. But anyway, this is what God showed him and he wrote down. I understand that his writing is a little bit more complicated than you just sitting down and writing something today. He doesn't communicate the same. But you just stick with me for a second. It says, now what is glorifying God? but a rejoicing at the glory he has displayed. An understanding of the perfections of God merely cannot be the end of creation. Neither can the highest end of creation be the declaring of God's glory to others. For declaring God's glory is good for nothing otherwise than to raise joy in ourselves and others at what is declared. In other words, what he's saying is, you can talk all you want about the glory of God, but unless it's connected with passion, unless it's connected to your heart, you're not accomplishing very much. So you can talk about glorifying God. You can read the verses about glorifying God. You can say and memorize, whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And you may be reaching or touching on God's glory, but you haven't gotten hardly any of it from that point forward. You stop very, very short of reaching the glory of God. He goes on. God is glorified not only by his glory being seen. In other words, you looking around at the things that he's done and what he's made. But by its being rejoiced in. 
Then those that see it delight in it. You remember he says, in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You remember that? You remember what delight is? A little child's pure enthusiasm and excitement at Christmas morning. That's what it is. And what he's saying here is, then those that see it delight in it. What's delighting in it? That's somebody walking in here with a blade of grass and saying, look, he makes this stuff. You can't make that. And you sit there and you go, so what? You know what's wrong? You don't see it. Unless it reaches your emotions, it's only accomplishing that little tiny part. You're talking about it. Like somebody talking about my love for my wife. That's discussing it. But when I begin to discuss it, now it's reaching a totally different realm. And that's what the glory of God is. And unless this thing reaches your heart, it doesn't just reach your mind. Unless it reaches your heart and it has some effect on your emotions, you're missing it. And if you're missing it, it's simply because you don't have the desire to seek God and his glory and understand it. You say, well, is it a sustained element in your life? No, I wish it was. I wish every moment, you know, that I breathe, I'm just consumed with the glory of God. Because those are the times when I'm enjoying life the most. Anyway, he says, those that see it delight in it. God is more glorified than if they only see it. In other words, if you feel it, it's much more glory to God than if you only see what he's made and rejoicing. Man, look at God painted that sky. No. Man, God, you really did it. You painted the sky. You just blow me away over and over. He said, yeah, I know that's why I did it like that. Why do you think I want you to be impressed by it? Just because of the color? Just because it's pleasing to the eye, I want it to be pleasing to your heart. I want you to appreciate my design and my genius in being able to create this stuff. Why? Because then you appreciate me more. For you to just consume it upon your lust is to look up there and say, man, that sure was a pretty sunset. Oh, look at the colors up there. That is consuming it upon your lust. It doesn't reach beyond you. And if it doesn't reach beyond you, if it doesn't take you to another level, then it stops with you. And God says, that's not good enough. I want more. So God shows Jonathan Edwards this stuff. Then those that see it delight in it. God is more glorified than if they see it. God made the world that he might communicate and the creature to receive his glory, both with the mind and the heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. It all connects right back to what God says. He that testifies his having an idea of God's glory doesn't glorify God so much as he that testifies also his approbation of it and his delight in it. Say, so what's approbation? Approbation is that state of disposition of the mind in which we assent to the propriety of a thing with some degree of pleasure. Propriety means accuracy. So he's saying that approbation, the state of disposition of the mind in which we assent to the accuracy of a thing with some degree of pleasure. What is that? 
God's saying, my glory is supposed to reach you on an emotional level. And if it doesn't reach you on an emotional level, you are missing it. You are missing it. I was listening to one of them lessons the other day where we were talking about those white herons flying around over our lakes. I don't know if you remember that or not. We worked over there at Fairhope. I told Jeff about it early in the morning, and both of us standing there with goosebumps all over us. You say, why is that? Because it was reaching us on a level that we were delighting in God's creation. The same stuff that God showed Jonathan Edwards, he's showing to us. Now, that's a rare thing. That is the exception to the rule. God has blessed us in a special way, just like he's blessed David, just like he blessed a bunch of other people. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to end up like Thomas? I'll believe when I can stick my hand in his side. Or like Peter, I'm going fishing, I give up. Or is this thing going to reach down into us and draw us to him so that we begin to change from glory to glory? Which way is it going to be? I just jotted down here a summation for my own self. But it says, the sense of reality and awareness of God's works and purpose that creates a passion and appreciation for our creator and gives him a sensation of pleasure from his creation. You say, what's that? That's just another way of defining what Jonathan Edwards said. All this stuff comes back to our pleasure, God's pleasure, his first. You realize how often you guys receive pleasure from God. I'm not talking about pleasure from the flesh. But pleasure through the Spirit, do you realize how many times you've ever received that sort of a pleasure without Him getting His pleasure first? If He doesn't get His first, you don't get any. Why? Because that's about you. If God was going to bless you and bring you a sensation of love, joy, peace, and stuff, every time you felt good about something, you'd just go through the rest of your life just loving everything and bouncing off the walls and just as happy as you could be. Because you'd take everything he gave you and it would just continue to grow. The reason we don't live a victorious Christian life is simply because our attention is in the wrong place. And as long as it's on us, it's going to be on our problems. Do you realize how much time you spend thinking of your problems versus how much time you rejoice in God's generosity? In other words, all the things that you already have, all the blessings you have, how much pleasure do you get out of what God's given you? I remember going to that refrigerator and dropping that ice cube in that cup of coffee just like it was yesterday and thinking, how many people could do this for 6,000 years? How many people can go turn on an air conditioner for 6,000 years? Anyway, now you got Jonathan Edwards. He shows up at a period of time. It's kind of interesting because he wrote this thing in 1765. I said, well, when is that? Was that Philadelphia church age? Was that Sardis church age? When, when did that actually happen? So I went back over to Revelation, read through this. You've got Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those are the seven churches. Now that church age is going to last a period of time. You ever notice how many times God does things by seven? You know what number 40 is? 40 is the number of testing. 40 years out in the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights. It's the number of testing. If I divide it up, this period of time from when the church began through when we're thinking the church is going to be over, I wonder how that breaks out. 
Nobody knows exactly when the church started. The thief, was he a member of the church? No, he went to paradise. He didn't go straight on up to the Father. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. He didn't do that. Well, when did the church start? Well, its church started when they were first called Christians in Antioch. I don't know. I couldn't even begin to fix it. But it's possible that it started somewhere around 50 A.D. Why? Because 50 is Pentecost. That's a rejoicing. That's a great time. And all of a sudden, you got liberty proclaimed throughout the land. You say, you think that was when it was? I don't know. But if you go and start using that as the church began around 50 A.D., then Ephesus ran from 50 to 330. You say, where'd you get that number? Well, it got real close. And then I said, I wonder how much that number is. And I divided it out. And the number shows up at 280 years. You know what 280 years is? Seven times 40. Well, how long would the church age run then? Well, you start counting in the 50 years there and from here out into the future a little bit. You say, how far into the future? Well, the only thing I can put my hand on is say, well, Israel became a nation here. And he said, that generation shall not pass. They'll throw in 70 years from that because your age of three score and 10. And if by reason of strength, they'd be four score. So maybe around that period of time. And I mean, it's fuzzy. But looking at it that way, you got Ephesus from 50 to 330. You got Smyrna from 330 to 410. You got Pergamos from 410 to 890. You got Thyatira from 890 to 1170. And you got Philadelphia from 1550 to 1730 and the Laodicean church from 1730 to 2010. And that thing could be one year, two years, three years, back and forth. I mean, it could be anywhere. How many of you want to see the Lord come back? We don't want to have to go through the bumpy time just before he gets back, though, do we? Now, I've mentioned this two or three times in the last couple of weeks, but the Lord's made this thing real for me. Because I was kind of iffy about it. I don't know if we're going to be here halfway through the tribulation. I really don't. But I know this. I know that when he comes back and gets us, two are going to be in the field, two are going to be grinding at the mill, and two are going to be in that bed. And that is not a picture of a bunch of people that can't buy or sell without a mark. You couldn't have a job. They wouldn't even pay you. So whatever's happening... Those people aren't put underneath that system yet. And it don't get bad until they get underneath that system where they can't buy and sell. Well, that's just some things to think about. And it has to do with something God is doing. This isn't the work of man here. This thing has to do with the glory of God. We've been looking at the wonderful and exciting and strange things that God has done. Last time we started looking at the design of how God chose to separate sound waves in a meaningful information for the brain. As the fluid moves in and out, it deflects the top and bottom of the corti, putting the connecting hairs under tension and then release. And it does that from 20 times a second to 20,000 times per second. It's deflecting that little triangular area up in there back and forth. And like I said before, you got this movement like this in between them and those little hairs are connected in there and so they get tighter and loose, tighter and loose, tighter and loose and it does it at a vibrating level that is just beyond your sight. It's buzzing away. And when it does that, certain things happen. Now the hairs are arranged in rows. The rows are three on one side, 
and one on the other. I said, why did God do that? I don't know, but I know he had absolute purpose in everything he did. This thing is designed and it's designed beyond anything that man has ever made. Man can't even understand this thing clearly. I'm serious about that. He's looking at it with the best equipment that he's ever had in the history of mankind and still doesn't have all the answers. Some of the stuff he's speculating at, just like he does proton, neutron, and electron. You think anybody's ever seen an electron? You think they ever stopped one of those things and said, well, let's look at this guy. (laughs) They're just guessing. They're speculating based on, well, we know this and we know this and we know this. So it must be this way. Anyway, now they connect this tectorial membrane, which is a gelatinous substance like jello, and they connect that back down to these nerve cells. And what takes place between that gelatinous substance and those nerve cells is where all the action really starts taking place. Now we take and cut away this thing under an electron microscope, and this is what they look like. Now, this is stuff that nobody had ever seen up until recently because they couldn't even look at it without high-tech equipment. And even at this, you're only looking at a part of it. Let's zoom in a little bit on it. Here are these little old rows of hair, and what they've done is they went in there and they cut away that tectorial membrane, and so you're looking at the bottom part. These are the ones that go down into the nerve cells. So you can see when they're looking at this stuff, it's like, what am I looking at? Well, I see these hairs, and they're not like hair on your head. You know, they're like the cilia in your throat and in your windpipe and stuff. They're super fine little things. And they cut this thing away, and they said, well, we're getting a better idea of this. Then they get in even closer. Now, there's a set of the ones on the left there that are uh, the single row, and they're a little more straight. All these other ones are in this V-shaped formation. Those are the three rows. What do those things look like to you? Pipe organs, exactly. That's what they look like. And here are these crazy things at all different lengths and stuff, all stacked up, neatly organized in these rows. Now, everything that God made with regard to sound revolves around harmonics and sympathetic vibrations. You say, like what? Well, let me try to give you an example of that. This right here is nothing but a little old simple music box right here. And this music box... I don't know if you can even hear it from here. Can you hear it right there? You're probably picking it up some from the microphone, but listen to this. You hear the volume change? Now you'd think wood, being a soft material, would dampen that sound. You'd think if you put it on metal, then it would start ringing louder. But all those things have sympathetic vibrations and all of those things are kind of tuned. Now, you've got things like reverb, the old-style reverb amplifiers. I got an old-style one. You say, what's an old-style reverb amplifier? How's that different? Well, it's kind of like the difference between that piano and the keyboard over next door. The keyboard over next door is operated strictly on electronics, and it produces frequencies, and then they amplify those frequencies. Then they change those to make it sound like a piano and like an organ and like a guitar and all these other things. And they feed it back to a speaker. But basically what you're doing is you're taking that one sound and creating it through an electronic means. What's happening over here in the piano is that hammer's hitting a string and it's vibrating the air molecules. It's bouncing back and forth. And all of those things have to be tuned and then 
they're using that wooden frame on that piano as a sounding board and it amplifies the sound. Now God designed not only the air we breathe, but he designed the molecules and the structure of that. He designed all the sound waves. And as he built all of this stuff, which didn't take him very long, by the way, he built all this stuff to interact with each other. It's woven together, it's interdependent. We're gonna get a little bit closer into this. And this is where everything's really starting to happen. This has just been real recent that they've been able to understand some of the things I'm fixing to show you right here. This connection between the nerve cells and the tectorial membrane is genius. Over here on the left is an illustration of that nerve cell. You say, how come they didn't take a picture of it? Because it's too small. But that thing on the left is a representation of that one nerve cell with the hairs and stuff stacked up on top of it, cut away. The one in the middle is the one hair that moves, and this thing's out on the tip. That little V-shape on the tip of that thing has one hair that is loose. All the rest of them are fastened on both ends. Now, if you take a piece of paper like this and you flip it, that tip flips the most, doesn't it? You do the same thing with a bullwhip. And what it does is it actually amplifies the speed of that thing. A bullwhip makes that loud noise because the tip of it's actually breaking the sound barrier. That's what makes that pop sound. And when it breaks the sound barrier, you hear that little sonic boom, pow. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. All of these things lead up to one hair that has to move. That little hair is the last one out on the tip. And it moves this connection to a little thing that gets tugged on. When those things move and that hair gets under tension, it tightens up that little connection. And that little thing right there at the bottom is a little gate and it opens and shuts and it opens and shuts between 20 times a second and 20,000 times per second. It's opening and closing. You say, what good is that? It lets an ion pass through. You say, a what? <laughs> an ion, that thing is an ion gate. It's a little valve that God made to let one little ion pass through. You say, what's an ion? Good question. It's a charged atom or molecule, charged because the electron numbers don't match the number of protons in the atom or the molecule. And that's essentially what happens with electricity. You end up with this random electron floating around that either attaches itself to something else and it's got too many of them here or not enough of them here, and so it's trying to move back and forth. So that sounds a little bit complicated. Whoever said God was simple? <laughs> I sure didn't. We've gotten to the point where we think salvation was just about Jesus dying on the cross in the blood. About like we think about our ears. They just sticking out there on the side of your head. There can't be much to an ear. Tell me about something else that's complex. Tell me about something that's complicated and be interesting. This thing is beyond our wildest imagination. I and mean, we're just barely scratching the surface. Now, so as it lets the ion pass, the brain gets a signal that registers one single movement of the eardrum in a specific range. And each one of these things is connected to an individual cell in the brain, or maybe a little tiny group of cells, but it's connected and wired to the right source. You ever heard of anybody that could taste color? You ever heard of that? I've heard of it. I've heard of people that had really odd responses to different things. What happened? Well, after Adam sinned, things went wrong. 
I woke up this morning, couldn't really straighten my right leg out. My knee was swelled up and hurting. Things gone wrong. <laughs> I bet your brother Selden feels a lot of things gone wrong. I know brother Bob feels that. And all the rest of us do too. What is that? Oh, that's a result of the sin. Well, what happens if one of those nerves goes and hooks up to the wrong place? Now it's hooked up to something you hear from something you taste. The minute I taste that, I hear a sound. It'd be messed if you get that thing wired up wrong. But there are some people that actually do have really unusual responses to things like that. You say, how does that work? I don't know exactly how it works, but I do know it's something that went wrong. <laughs> something got wired backwards. <laughs> anyway, now I'm going to try to put this all together real briefly here before we close today. And we're not going to finish this because the complexity of how he does this, how he breaks this out is what's really fascinating. But here's a breakdown of what we've already looked at. Something causes air molecules to vibrate in a single bounce or in vibration. Something causes that. When that air begins to vibrate, those molecules bouncing against each other, our outer ears break that part into four, at least four duplicate sets of waves. The canal amplifies those waves to fit into the human voice range. So anything in that particular range, it amplifies those sounds for us. The eardrum senses the slightest to the greatest pressure change in range of one to one million. So what's that like? That's like a transmission with one gear that will go one one thousandth of a mile an hour up to 880,000 miles an hour without changing gears. No range change. I mean, that thing's beyond anything man has made. You ever seen a pressure gauge? Zero to 30, zero to 15, zero to 10, zero to 2,000. They keep changing the range. Why? Because they can't build anything accurate enough to go from zero to one million pounds of pressure. And it reads one pound accurately and one million accurately. They can't do that. God made that with our ears. Anyway, it goes from there to three connecting links on teeter-totter mounts that transfer those movements into a sealed hydraulic chamber. From there, the pressure differentials move some jelly-like stuff with hairs growing out of it inside of that. Then the ions start a chain reaction. A nerve that is connected to the brain cell then recognizes a specific frequency, volume, and duration and transfers that to millions of other cells that put it all back together so that the highly complex trillions and trillions of vibrations are perceived as an orchestra. Now that's what's going on. The one that can do that loves you more than you know. And the one with that kind of genius and with that kind of ability is preparing a place for you. If that don't stir you, I don't know what to tell you. We're talking about somebody that's beyond our wildest imagination. And unfortunately, the Laodicean church has put him back in this little box and it's just religion. And if it's not religion, then we don't mess with it because we're not smart enough to argue with them about anything. And they think it all happened by accident because of a big bang. And then millions of years produced this stuff. And you know from what you've already seen that you're not going to ever find a watch coming out of the ground with all the different elements in it 
and it's all working. You know, cars don't evolve. You know, nothing evolves. You might find changes in it. You get calluses on your hand. When you start working hard, how come? God's design. How come a lizard changes colors? God's design. How come they don't all change? You can find all kinds of big monstrous gaps in this stuff. But God has built some neat stuff. And if he's not interesting to you, it's because your attention's in the wrong place. You say, what is this? This is a result of seeking him, seeking his pleasure, and seeking his glory. Why? To be impressed, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's close in prayer.